We are in chapter 12 of Romans. Um, based on what we covered in all of those two verses last week, you know what you're supposed to be. But at the end of the day, even though we mentioned it, Paul didn't in those two verses get into what does that look like? What are the nuts and bolts of this? How does that work itself out in, you know, day-to-day living? Where am I in the kingdom? What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? We covered some of that, but Paul didn't. And since Paul is not leaving anything to chance in the book of Romans, guess what he does next? He covers it, which means we get to do what? Yeah, we get to cover it. It'll be fun. Welcome to this section. What does it look like? to be a living sacrifice, proving the will of God. Like, help me out here, Paul. I, I, I have questions. Do you have answers? And the answer is, of course, yes, yes, he does. So let's dive right into verse three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. We're gonna pause right there. So if anybody gets an opportunity to brag a little bit, shouldn't it be Paul? I mean, what's the starting off? Why is Paul qualified to write this letter? Like, what qualifies Paul? I'm smarter than you. <laughs> you know, he's an apostle, an apostle called by Christ. Are you an apostle called by Christ? No, so you don't get to write the letter. Paul does, Paul is, so that's what's going on. But notice how he couches that. Does Paul stand there and go, I'm an apostle, listen to me. Nah. No, he spends all of this letter going about what? explaining from history, explaining from scripture, encouraging biblically, not just I'm in charge, I'm the authority, you listen to me. So I joke with you guys, you go to church and the guy who's supposed to be doing what I'm doing is doing something else and not actually giving you Bible verses. What should you do? Yes, yes, throw things and run screaming from the room as a warning to others. You don't tolerate heresy in the pulpit. You get that stopped. Why? Just because I get the microphone doesn't make me more special. I just have the time to do this that you don't have. That's neither good nor bad. It just is. Just is. That's why there are things in life that you guys are good at that I'm miserable at because I'm doing this so I don't have time to do the thing that you're doing to be good at. That's kind of how work goes. So if... Just because, that, just because I'm the one doing this job doesn't mean, oh, we have to listen to him. They give him the microphone and the fleece pullover. That makes him special. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm only special and I'm only to be listened to as I stand rightly on the word of God. If I stand anywhere else, throw things, run screaming from the room as a warning to others. Again, I'm going to get a bell. We're going to have drills. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. <laughs> so Paul reminds you, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Because you should always lead life with something in the back of your mind. And that something is, what were you? should always be back there somewhere, a reminder of who you were, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made made us alive together with Christ. And see, that should mean something moving forward. So if you go to Paul's prior letter before Romans, you get to Galatians. He tells the Galatians, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself because in Christ, where is your hope? Where is your security? Where is your wisdom? Where is your strength? First Corinthians chapter one. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many nobles. That's mighty and noble. They're modal. <laughs> I will make up my own words. <laughs> But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. By the way, always remember in 1 Corinthians 1, the foolish things of the world is us, just so you know. To shame the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world, to the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's a reminder of who you were, but Paul is not done here in verse three. So don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So something we we always cover. Should you remember who you were? Yes, but you should always look at who you were in light of who you were are. 
that is much, much more important. So, who am I and how did I get here? We'll rewind to something like Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to, to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. We joked about that. Like you don't go to work all week and get a paycheck at the end of the week. Be like, oh, thank you for blessing me with this abundance. You say what? Give me my money. And when they don't have the check, you don't go, that's okay. I understand. It's a rough economy. You say what? I worked. You pay. That's how this arrangement works. Because if you don't pay, guess what's not going to happen next week? Yeah, I don't work. It's amazing how those things go together. Paul gets that. Humanity gets that. So, but the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So, you know who you were. You recognize who you now are, but you also recognize, more importantly, how you got there. By the gracious gift of God, by his accomplishment, by his righteousness being imputed to you. And because of that, you now see the world differently. You now evaluate the world. From there, you can then connect back to what we talked about last week. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's only possible. Remember, I'll mention this again. We mentioned it last week. Romans 12 is the application of the first 11 chapters of the book. That's why it starts with therefore. You can't just start to go, stop living like the world. How? How? Well, I need to go back and recognize my sinfulness, Romans 1. I need to recognize God's accomplishment by grace in Romans 4. I need to recognize his sanctifying work in Romans 7 and 8. I need to recognize his sovereign rule in chapter 9. Those things then lead me to the therefore. If I haven't been changed by the grace of God, I can't think rightly. I am the strong of the world. I am that which is noble in the sight of the flesh rather than that which is weak and base, and foolish, because I have exalted me rather than God. That becomes the breakdown of humanity, is who do we want everyone to think well of? Yeah, and when they think well of me, good. Which, by the way, you ever want to tackle 90% of the problems we have in the Christian church when when it comes to dealing with the world? Tackle that problem right there. I want the world to think well of me. When you start with that sentence, you say, therefore, everything that comes after that therefore is bad. Everything. This is where we equivocate on language. This is where we change our definitions. This is where we soften theology. This is when we water down the gospel. This is when we try to undo the wrath of God in our speaking. We try to accommodate everything that's out there so that they'll what? That way they'll like me. Okay. I've told you this one before. There's a, um, sometimes names just stick in your head. I recommend this though. Um, There's a book by a, a Christian counselor by the name of Ed Welch. And it just perfectly describes this. The name of the book is, nice long title, When People Are Big and God is Small. (laughs) And it's basically tackling what we call the fear of man. I'm more worried about what they think than I am about what God thinks. Therefore, I keep silent. Therefore, I don't have the argument. Therefore, I don't stand strong. Therefore, I change my theology. Therefore, 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 therefore. Instead, we go out into the world with what knowledge? I don't care what they think about me. God has called me redeemed. I don't care what, whether or not I belong out there. I am a child of the king of creation. Therefore, I can stand firm. I can be anchored. I can be built up. Therefore, I can stand where the gospel calls me to stand, and I can leave where the gospel calls me to leave. And I don't have to wonder or doubt or worry because it is God who holds me. This is something we mentioned last week. I'll mention it again. Because of the grace of God, because of how you see yourself, you evaluate the world. That's Romans 12 too. But you do it looking forward. So something like uh, Peter 4 again. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, yes, know who you were. But recognize who you were in light of who you are and then worship and serve in his kingdom with how he has changed you, how he has gifted you with your eyes on him as the prize. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. Pause right there. Um, This is why your evaluation has got to be more than just skin deep. 
This is why it actually matters who you are in Christ. So something like 1 Corinthians 12. There are a variety, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, you can't just look at this and go, well, you know, okay, I'm in Christ, so I want to do this. Why? (laughs) And And I'm serious. Why? Do you have any ability there? Are you gifted for this? Do you have any kind of passion for it? Or have you just decided? And I've joked about this before. I'll continue to joke about this until the end of time. We're really good at doing this in churches because we, we want to make it something bigger and more complicated. So you'd be like, well, you need to stretch. And so you're like, you're not, you're not a numbers person. So you need to be on the finance team. No, no, that's a terrible idea. Get the people who can actually count without taking their shoes off, put them on the finance team. Sorry. Some of you, some of you haven't met our finance team. (laughs) That's Mike and Clark's running joke at each other. Anytime they get in, anytime their numbers don't agree, they yell at each other, take the other one for the other one, take their shoes off. You wonder why I can struggle to get work done in the office sometimes. (laughs) But in all seriousness, we, we try to guilt people like, well, have you considered serving in the nursery? I hate children unless they come with barbecue sauce. Don't put them in the nursery. It's a terrible idea. That was my mother's line for years. My mother was such a lovely person. She'd be like, don't you just love kids? And she's like, yes, with, with extra barbecue sauce. And people would look at her. <laughs> you ever wonder why I am the way that I am? See, you get little pictures here and there, right? <laughs> ah. So should that person be in the nursery? No, they're not gifted for it. They don't want to do it. Don't sit there and go, well, you'll grow spiritually. No, you'll hate everyone. What are you good at? What are you gifted for? Do that. Actually think, who am I in Christ? How do I actually build for the uplifting of the kingdom? When I say I need to stretch myself and grow spiritually by doing the things that I hate, you know who I'm focused on, don't you? Me, I'm going to now be a better person. I'm going to, by the strength of my miserableness, going to make me better. No, you're not. You make everybody else miserable around you. I mean, that's, that's how that always works. This is my, um, this, I always had this argument. Years ago in a former life, I got a bachelor's degree to teach high school social studies. I, I, I was dropped on the head as a child or something. I don't know. Um, and we used to, um, I was going through college at the time where group projects were like the new in vogue thing, late 90s, early 2000s. And I'm going, this is terrible. And the reason I know it's terrible is because I'm the kid you were targeting in high school, the one who didn't want to do anything. And I know how this is going to go. So you're going to, the goal was, well, what you should do is, this was the logic. PhD is telling me this, is you need to take, you know, high achieving students and you need to put them with some of your average achieving students and some of your lower achieving students, and then they can work together and your high achieving students will bring them up. Oh, I fell out of my chair laughing. I'm not a nice person. I'm 20 years old laughing at my college professors because I'm like, this is a terrible idea. I was that average achieving student. Could I do better? Yes. Did I do better? No. Sorry, kids, don't be like me. Um, I already know how this is going to go. You're going to put those four kids together, and the kid who's failing is going to do nothing. The kid who can just skate by is going to skate by, and the kid who actually cares about their grades is going to work themselves to death to drag this group across the finish line because they don't want to be punished for it. So, no, this is a terrible idea, and they looked at me like, they would never. Have you met teenagers? (laughs) Like recently, (laughs) on this planet, because this is humanity's breakdown. This is what we do. This is how we mess ourselves up. So when we sit sit there and come into church and we say, well, I'll do this thing that I'm not good at, you're just going to torture everyone else and make the people who are good at it have to carry you across the finish line. What are you gifted for? How has God made you? Don't try to be somebody else. Be the sanctified you, where your gifts are, where your skills are, where your blessings are, and then put them to work in the kingdom, that's an actual godly evaluation that blesses the kingdom. Because guess what? If, if, so like if, you're not ter- if you're not great with children and we needed somebody to be good with children, the goal isn't to make you better with children. The goal is to either find the people who are good with children or find people who are good with children and get them saved and sanctified and brought in. See, that's how the working of the kingdom functions. And guess who's in charge of that job? Take a wild guess. Who's in charge of the saving of people? The God through the Holy Spirit. Guess who's in charge of the gifting of the people? God through the Holy Spirit. So if you've got nobody to do the children's ministry, guess what? You, you don't do it. 
Like, you be like, oh, I think we should start this ministry. Well, that's going to cost a lot of money. Well, we will find givers. Well, until you find the givers, guess what we're not doing? <laughs> we're not starting the ministry. It's going to cost a lot of money because that's not stepping out in faith. That's stepping out in stupidity, and you don't want to do that. You want to actually do the things you're gifted for. So again, more than just surface level, actually understanding who are you in the kingdom? What is God building? How is this going to function? And again, this is how he's called his people to work. So you go to things like 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Not a people for the world's possession, not a people for your possession, a people for God's possession. Why? Because you've been shown grace. You have received mercy and you have been strengthened. And therefore you do what? You put this to work, things like Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day dawning near. In other words, what? Living, looking forward, moving forward, focused on his kingdom, encouraging, strengthening, building one another up. Verse 5. So, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Oh, that one hurts because we're all in this together. Oh, you people are stuck with me and I'm stuck with you people. Oh. <laughs> You're not a bad group to be stuck with. I've been stuck with worse, so it's okay. <laughs> See? Rejoice. You, this, I, this is why I tell you to pray for my wife. You know who else you should be praying for? Because she's stuck with me, but that means you know who else is stuck with me. Yeah, see, you guys should be praying for you too. That's, okay, I will, some of you were here for this, some of you weren't, but one of the best impromptu jokes I have ever heard in a church, I was the, I was the butt of. Um, I made mention that I had passed, I think it was my fourth year here, and someone, of course, started to clap, and I'm like, no, stop, stop, stop. And somebody goes, we're not clapping for you, we're clapping for us. <laughs> I'm like, I, I approve this message, yes. Yes, that's funny. So I can't be mad at you if it's that funny. So, But we are in this together. This is the function that the Bible is laying out. And by the way, Paul doesn't just pull this out of left field. It's not like, hey, I got an idea. Let's bind them together so that they're stuck with each other so they'll work on this. He, he builds on things that are already laid down, things like John 15. Jesus tells the disciples that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And by the way, that shouldn't cause you to worry. That should cause you to rejoice because you have been given the best weapon as we go about this. Things like 1 John 2. Children, is, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know, and because no lie is of the truth. See, one of the reasons why we get squishy and we get wishy-washy on things is because we're trying to always build something, right? I had this argument years ago with somebody. Their exact phrase to me was, well, a healthy church is a growing church. Define healthy, define growing. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. Define growing. Like I made mention a couple weeks ago that I interviewed with this church out in the middle of nowhere that had 20 people in it. They wanted to grow. They wanted more people. And like, from where? Like, seriously, we're going to bust them in? Like, from 20 miles away? You have, to, you have to be honest with who you are and where you are and what the realities of life are. So what does it mean for a growing church? Well, my encouragement to them was be a growing church. Grow spiritually. Be faithful. Study the scriptures. Grow in sanctification. Disciple one another. Disciple your family. Guess what you now are? You're a growing church. And if numerically you fall away, well, congrats. How's that church in Ephesus doing? No, no, it's not. It's not there anymore. It's ruins. Yeah, 
I mean, most of the churches that Paul planted, where are they? They're gone. Um, you, want, you want fun from church history. So go back. Um, I put all the maps in the Sunday school room. got them out of here. I should have tempted to run, but you'll just have to take my word for it. So if you go back to things like the, uh, the Council of Nicaea, which is in 325, which you ever take a church history class, that's like one of the dates you should always know. The Council of Nicaea is in 325. Congrats, you now know that. <laughs> so if you go to the Council of Nicaea trying to decide on the deity and humanity of Christ against the Arian heresy, if you look at the role of that of the bishops attending that church, what you will see is a lot of them from what we would now consider the Middle East, in and around the Mediterranean. If you fast forward a few centuries, so the the guys laying out things like the foundation for the Nicene Creed, which almost all modern hymnals still have in the back of. If you go to the Council of Chalcedon in 450 and you get what becomes the foundations for the later Apostles' Creed, which again, most hymnals today would still print, you would see again the roles of, that, of the attendance of the bishops are mostly Middle Eastern. They're from places like Jerusalem and Antioch and from places that are in Syria in modern-day Iraq and modern-day Egypt and all of these places. These were the foundation stones of the early church and early theology. Why aren't there any Christian churches hardly in this area anymore? <laughs> yeah, this little thing called Islam came through and swept them all away a few centuries later. And the foundation of Christianity moves. And then it moves. And it's probably going to move again. And the foundations of where Christianity is strongest is forever shifting because it's not about where you are on the planet. It's not about where you are now or where the church might be 100 years from now. But where are you? Where are you? What are you living for? What are you building as far as the kingdom is concerned? What's the focus of your world and of your life? Because if my focus starts to become, I'm, I'm going to be right here. This world is passing away. And so are its lusts and so are its joys and all the things that it could lie to you and provide. So those faithful churches, those faithful men that were swept away, does that lessen what they accomplished? No, because as Abraham, they're looking for a city whose builder is God, not men. And this is a change in how we see the world because so much of our world tries to get us to build a legacy in the here and in the now, you know, to, to build monuments and memorials and to always have something that the future generations can remember. Mm. I'd rather my future generations remember God. If they do that, win. If they don't, who cares if I got a picture of great grandpa sitting on a mantle somewhere? All that's going to mean is, you know, get enough generations down the line and some kid's going to be digging through family photos and somebody dies and goes, who's this? <laughs> and don't act like you've never done that. Because you start digging through photos and going, does anybody even know who this is? And it's always fun when you find somebody and nobody knows. <laughs> Those are always my favorite. Be like, yeah, random family member that someone probably cared about, but oh well. <laughs> I, guess they're, I guess they're related. I don't know. Or you do like digging through my... Uh, when, when Cameron's grandfather passed away and going, going through all these photos and old barns and people standing in front of tractors and standing in front of the crop this year. And here's a cow. What? That's just a random picture. I mean, it's a nice picture. It's like a little, little, little picture about this big of just a cow. I mean, who keeps a picture of, of a cow? And then our uncle comes, oh, it's bingo. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Can we add uh, can we add Uncle Bingo to the family pie? <laughs> ah, the joys. No. That's not where the treasure is. It's supposed to be found in the kingdom where God actually dwells. So, verse 6. What will this actually look like? Let's time to put some flesh on this and actually lay down some ground rules. So, Verse 6, which is going to be, by the way, our first big duh of the morning. This is my favorite. So, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Congratulations, you are all, not all the same. Who'd have thunk it, right? You'd have never figured that out looking around the room. <laughs> You'd have been like, what? These people don't all live exactly like me? I mean, just great example from my joke this morning. I mean, the way Cameron and I grocery shop is different from each other. We've grocery shopped together. We've, you know, we've known each other for 25 years. We've been married for 20 of them, for crying out loud. You would think at some point some of that would have aligned. No. Why? We're different people. We think about the grocery store differently. We think about the grocery list differently. We think about life differently. It's one of the reasons why there's conflicts in marriage. You take two sinners, you put them in the same house, and they'll be like, now why isn't it perfect? Can't imagine. And that's why I don't care how long you've been married. You've been married 30, 40 years. You look at that person every once in a while and be like, you know what? 
No, we're going today. That's just... <laughs> See, you're laughing because it's true. <laughs> That's, I, almost bought, I almost bought this t-shirt, but I'm like, no, no, I can't do it. There's this great t-shirt that I see every once in a while. It says, I love my spouse, but sometimes I want to square up. <laughs> and I'm like, there are days when you just look at the person and be like, no, 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 give me five minutes and then we will talk about this, but no, not right now. Because we're not the same people. Now, imagine you struggle with that in a marriage. Now try to bring that to a church where you don't have that same commitment to one another and you have even more wide-ranging difficulties and opinions and life experiences and understandings. And now make this work. Okay, what's the cure to make it work? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Well, what would accordingly look like? That's what's been laid out before, that you live according to the grace of God through you, that you live as a sacrifice testing and understanding the will of God, that you actually don't focus on you and your preferences. I don't focus on me and my preferences. I focus on God and his principles. See, I almost got myself twisted up. You can't imagine how I got that messed up, could you? I live for him, for what his kingdom would be, not for what I want my kingdom to look like. And again, this is not something that Paul pulls out of left field here, something like Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. You know how the rest of that story goes. The guy goes out every couple hours and does what? Hires some more guys for what? Same wage. Now, get to the end of that. Take what is yours, because the guys who got hired at the beginning of the day, look at the guys who got hired at the end of the day, be like, wait a minute, I got ripped off. No, you got your reward for your day's work. They got their reward for their day's work. My money, my stuff, my blessing. Take what is yours and go. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. It is, not law- it, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own, or is your eye envious because I am generous? So, that, so the last shall be first and the first last. Now, Just pause for a second because this is remembering as you live in the kingdom, you live according to what? You remember who you were, but you remember also who you are and why you are that way by the grace of God. So you don't look at somebody else and be like, oh man, he saved that guy? Because every time you do that, you know what's happening on the other side? Someone's looking at you going, oh man, he saved that guy? (laughs) Be like, hey, wait a minute. No, instead you should wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say what? Oh my gosh, they saved that guy? (laughs) Thank you, by the way. Because you recognize who you are and why you are. So, live in this way. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Oh, they're starting to have fun right off the bat. What is prophecy? Okay, the ability to do what? Proclaim the truth of God. This is what prophets are supposed to be about, right? So even go back to the Old Testament prophets. What are they proclaiming? Thus says the Lord. So God gives you a message. You go to the people and say, hey, God said this. Well, the people then look at you and go, well, how do we know that God said this? Well, because it's going to happen. If it happened, then you know God said it. If it didn't happen, you know God didn't say it. Well, what if it did happen and then I'm a false prophet and I want you to go worship in idolatry? Well, didn't you throw the big heavy rocks at him, right? Because at the end of the day, just because you got the prediction right, just because you got the thus says the Lord part right, you don't get to abandon the truth that God has given in his law. You don't get to abandon the truth that God has handed down about worship and sacrifice and how they work. So to be a prophet is to be someone who speaks the word of God accurately always, which is again what my standard is, which is why if somebody's doing this job and doing it wrongly, you do what? Since you can't stone me to death, you throw the hymnal and run screaming from the room. So you just get to throw one. You don't get to throw two. That's not fair. (laughs) That would be too much like stoning and you're not Israel, okay? You throw one. You don't even have to aim well. Just, you know, the message will be sent. (laughs) Well, you can aim well. I mean, some of you, again, each one according to his gifts. Some of you have better aim than others. (laughs) So... How, what will that look like to be exercised according to the proportion of his faith? It would look like things like 2 Timothy 4. Uh, Paul telling Timothy that I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So who qualifies for this? Well, can you understand your Bible? Congratulations, you just qualified. You should speak how? Truthfully about it. You should explain it well so that you can do what? Rebuke, reprove, exhort, encourage, train. Who's on the hook to make disciples? All of us. And what's our standard for that? 
the words of Christ, the proclamation of his truth as he has handed it down. So if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his service, now this is my favorite, the ability to actually get stuff done. And I'm serious about that. So if you're Cameron for the last couple of weeks, you've got a big massive boot and you know, you're walking around like this because you had that foot surgery. Service in the gym, putting up chairs and tables. That's her spiritual gift, right? (laughs) Why not? Because you can't actually do it. You may want to, but you can't actually do it. This is one of the difficult things that is a reality of life for everybody. Um, If you're capable and you're able, you should. (laughs) And we don't ever get told that anymore in the world because everything's about who and what. Me and what I want, and I don't ever want to be uncomfortable. I don't ever want to do a job I don't want to do. So like, part of the reason I'm not like more well-rested is because we have chickens in the backyard. And for the last two weeks, we've had coyotes in the backyard. So guess who's got to wake up when they start running through the yard at 3 o'clock in the morning to chase them off? Yeah, the dog and I, apparently. <laughs> uh, don't give me that look. I know. You hold the light. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, because, again, one of us can go traipsing out into the muddy field, and the other one can stand on the deck and hold the light. Guess which of the two of us can go traipsing out into the field? Because Cameron can't walk 10 feet without her foot starting to swell. So it's her job to hold the light, which is the joyous of a job, because you ever tried to hold a light for someone else? It is physically impossible to hold a light for someone else in the right spot. So anyway. So... Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, service is really simple. The ability to actually do things. What things? I don't know. What can you actually do? Novel idea. Can you encourage? Can you do actual work? Can you? There's a lot of things that could be defined as service. What are you capable of doing? So things like Acts 6. The 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's one of my favorite rebukes in all the Bible. The, the, the widows are complaining. We're not getting our food allotment. And the disciples almost answer as borderline and. <laughs> so just imagine how quickly... Any pastor in any church anywhere is in front of a committee meeting in a church because the widow ladies came to him and said, we're starving and need your help. And he was like, don't you have people to call for this? (laughs) Like, you don't get to talk to Ethel like that, pastor. Why not? Peter did. (laughs) I know, I'm not Peter. So, but their answer is, and we have more important things to do. Surely there is someone qualified for this problem. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I mean, surely there is someone here with a brain, someone here who can manage this, someone who can work and serve in the community so that not everything falls on the same three people, right? That's the idea. That's what the gift of service is. Can you? Sweet. Do you want to? Sweet. Do. Okay, you don't want to? Okay, why not? Just asking out of curiosity because what should you be evaluating beyond just skin deep, right? So you don't get to look at a gift and say, I'm not really feeling that one today. Okay, why not? Because you're worried about you, your flesh. Now again, I tell you this as the guy who is never, ever going to guilt you about volunteers. In a million years, I have been in that meeting. I was raised by that parent. I was the grandson of that grandmother. You guys laugh at me. Cameron will vouch for me. My grandmother had guilt, like, to a science. Like, you could tell she was doing it, and you're like, oh, it still works. What are you? <laughs> like, there's, like, a cauldron in the back that you conjure this with? And she, it, it, she, it was just uncanny, and she just kind of had this voice. Well, that's okay. And, oh, I'm on my way. Hold on. <laughs> so I know what it's like to live with that pendulum constantly swinging over your head. I will never do that to you, but I will ask you to do that to you. What are your gifts? What are you good at? What can you do? And if you can then to be in all honesty, you should, because that's how this works. Get out of your flesh, get out of your desires, and serve in the kingdom. So if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. Ooh, this is a fun one. Teaching, the ability to explain things and have them make sense. Which, by the way, those two things are supposed to go together. 
And every once in a while, I'll even help you fail at the second one because I can explain it. And then you all kind of blink at me a couple times. You're like, okay, we're going to circle back around on that one because I explained it, but nobody understood it. So what did my explanation actually accomplish? Yeah, not a whole lot. Like you get this with kids, right? You tell them to do something and they kind of look at you and be like, something has been missed. Or like, you know, I, I, I'll come into the house and like, there's a laundry basket and it's just sitting in the middle of the floor. I know it does not belong there. So Cameron, what'd you tell the kids to do? Huh? Kids, what did you hear? That explains it. Okay, go do this because it, it's obvious that it's somewhere along the line. Something from A to B didn't, you know, you know, passed, lost in translation. Something was missed, you know, or as you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. You're going the wrong way. Well, how do they know which way we're going? Yeah, something bad has happened here. No, you're not actually teaching unless you can actually explain it and people understand something, which is why I never complain at you when you guys ask me questions about it afterwards. Because by the way, if someone looks at you and goes, don't ask questions, you should just get this. No, that's a problem with them, not with you. You should always ask questions. You should ask all the questions, and I try to answer them because that's how this is supposed to work. Because if you're asking questions, it's because you don't understand something, and it's my job to actually help make sense of that. So again, mentioned this earlier, but this is part of your explanation. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is just Christian living. Now, this is also why it's important to evaluate you rightly and well. How many of you are off the hook for teaching anybody? Or yeah, some, You all have somebody you should be teaching and instructing. Should you all be doing it at the same level? No. Should we expect that? No. That's why everyone's well, you guys ask me questions. Uh, several of you will do this, and I don't mind, by the way. You'll send me a text or, or call me and be like, I had a friend that asked me this, and I'm not sure how to answer. Sweet! I can help with that because... We found one. You ran into one. Be like, I think this one's above my pay grade. Awesome. When it comes to Bible stuff, I shouldn't find one that's above my pay grade because I should actually be able to know where the answer is and help you find it. That's how this is supposed to work. And this is part of the one group from a few verses ago where this makes sense together. Now, I will warn you, though, why you should do the evaluation here especially. I mean, I know I make it look exciting and fun and all, but the teaching thing does come with some warnings. James 3, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. That's not on you. That one's on me in this, sake, in this case. But why is, that th- why is that there? You're not responsible for what people do with what you tell them, but you are responsible for what you actually tell them. So yeah, you, you may get it completely wrong, I'm not going to stand before God and be like, hey, they went off the rails. I'm going to stand before God and say, but but this is what I told them. Now, if I led you off the rails, now I have a big problem. (laughs) But if I didn't lead you off the rails and you went willingly, that one's not on me. That one's on you, which is again why I tell you what? Ask questions. Because I don't want you just like driving off into the wilderness by yourself. I want you to understand, to make sense of things. (sighs) This is one of those things that I'm, I'm weird about. Your Bible actually has a unified message. Your Bible, even though it is 66 books with 40 plus authors and all that good stuff, actually makes sense. And when we look at it and read it and understand it rightly, it makes sense to us and we can apply it rightly. So for us to not do that is just crazy to me. It's just insane. So let's actually do that. Let's make sense of it. And if we have questions, let's ask them. Let's understand and make sure that we're all going in the same direction and make sure that it's the right direction. So that's teaching. Verse 8. He who exhorts in exhortation. Ah, that word exhortation that you guys all throw around, you know, like every 20 minutes, right? Exactly. I know. I'm in the same boat. The ability to build up. So not quite encouragement. Encouragement and exhortation are not exactly the same thing, but close enough for government work. So things like Hebrews 3. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's where exhortation differs just a little bit. The idea of exhortation is that you proclaiming the truth of God are encouraging people to do what? Something in a godly direction. So... What we, the reason why um, the, the NASB will keep exhortation here and some newer translations will as well is because encourage has a, more, has a more cultural connotation. Like if I tell you he's so encouraging, what does that really mean? 
He's nice and he's sweet and he says nice things. He's, he's never the person that's going to say mean things about you. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm, depending on which group you list, I'm either one of the older millennials or one of the younger Gen Xers. You know what we don't do? <laughs> encouragement. Ask my wife. Encouragement, not our thing. I am rip the Band-Aid guy. You know, like, uh, that, yeah, that's going to stink. You know, we should just... It had to be done. That's me in every avenue of life. It just is what it is. Sorry. So encouragement, not the thing. That's not what exhortation is. Encouragement sounds like, well, you need to be nice and be happy and joyous. No, exhortation is no, you need to be right. You need to be sanctified. You need to be righteous. You need to move in holiness. So exhortation is I'm going to encourage you in the right direction. Sometimes that's a pat on the back. Sometimes that's a hug. Sometimes that's a stern word. Sometimes it's a foot. You don't want to put a foot. (laughs) It's like, Go that way. (laughs) That's why I always joke with you guys. There's the right hand of fellowship and the left foot of fellowship. You know, you have to deal with all of these things because again, a conversation that occurred in my house last night, um, defining love correctly. Like sometimes it's very, very loving to do something that the world would think is mean. And I've used the example always, if your kids are running into traffic, would you tackle them? Well, is it nice to tackle people? Like, are you, are you supposed to just go like WWE, you know, turn into Brian Urlacher or Dick Butkus and just spear a kid into the ground? No. But if you do that to keep them from running in front of a truck, have you done a good thing? Yes. Have you loved them? Have you exhorted them in righteousness? Yes, in, a, in an extreme manner, but absolutely. That's where exhortation is important. Knowing the truth, seeing the truth, understanding the truth, and calling those around you to the truth. Uh-oh, we hit the button. <laughs> Go back, young man. (laughs) You can't hurry me. I have plenty of time. (laughs) I can see the clock. (laughs) Just for that, I will talk slower. No, we all know I won't talk slower, so don't. (laughs) So, exhortation is pulling in the right direction. Again, the part of the summation of all of these things is as you, ex- as you enter into your works, whatever they may be, they should be in this direction so that you're building people up in righteousness. So he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, this is my real good one, giving the ability to see the stuff you have rightly and part with it. Now, let's cover some assumptions here. If you can part with stuff, what is implied? That you have stuff. So do you get to sit there and be like, I live in a cardboard box. My spiritual gift is giving. Giving what? (laughs) I mean, and I'm picking a little, but I'm serious. The starting point on this is actually having something to give. And then when you do have these things, to see them rightly and to give generously. Now, I always tell you, when it comes to giving... There is a biblical standard, and I always like to settle with Paul on the biblical standard. So when someone asks, how much should you give, or how much should I give, I give you the same answer Paul gives. How much you got? (laughs) And how much can you part with? Because the answer is that much. So things like 2 Corinthians 9. I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And always remember, that's Paul's standard when he's talking about collecting the offering for Jerusalem. I want you to give however much you have. Some people give a lot. Some people give a little. Give a little. By the way, what determines whether or not you gave a lot or a little? How much you had? This is the example that Jesus gives in the parable, right? You have the rich man goes and he throws a little couple of coins in there. What did he give? Now, those couple of coins might have been a pile of cash, but to him it was what? Nothing. But the poor widow who has the last coin and gives it, what did she give? Everything. She gives all. So how much you give is determined by how much you actually have. Now, the biblical standard is what? Joyously in service of the kingdom. What can you give? What can you part with? Give. Congratulations. Like I said, Paul would be out there in the playground shaking the five-year-olds. Like, you got any milk money in there, kid? Ooh, this will be helpful. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) Because again, focused on what? 
not this world is my home, but the eternal kingdom is my home. Not understanding that I will be blessed in wealth in, in wealth here, but I will be blessed and in wealth in God's sight, righteous and blameless, glorified. That's the hope. That's the focus. Again, my eyes away from me and onto the kingdom because I'm living, seeing rightly, evaluating who I am in light of who I was, how I got here, and what I now do moving forward. So, He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. Now, this is another favorite one. In order to lead, that implies what about other people? That they will follow you. (laughs) Be like, I have been called to be a leader. Where is everybody? (laughs) I got really bad news for you. You haven't been called to lead anyone because there's no one actually following you. So you, again, have to be honest with who you are, honest with what you are in the kingdom and what you're supposed to do. Now, if this is still where you are and you suddenly look around and be like, people are listening to me. People are following me. One, that should always be just a little bit terrifying. Okay, just so you know, that should always just be a little bit terrifying that, you know, all of a sudden people are actually paying attention to you. But then that should also be a little bit strengthening because you actually have a standard, things like 1 Timothy 5. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Why? Because why does Paul single out those who are working hard at preaching and teaching? Because it's part of the exhortation, the building up of the body. In other words, when you see the people who are leading and leading in the right direction, encouraging you in godliness and rightly exhorting you in the words of Christ, that's good news. That's the joy of sanctification of a congregation. That's looking going, hey, we can follow, continue following because what's Paul's standard? Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Now, keep in mind, there's, the flip, there's another side of that standard and Paul actually lays it down for the Galatians. What does he tell them about the gospel? If I or an angel from heaven preaches to you another gospel, he is to be anathema. He is to be cursed. Don't follow. So if Paul shows up and goes, all right, we're going this way, and Jesus is that way, you should follow Paul. If Paul goes, we're going this way, and Jesus is that way, you know what? You should not follow Paul. That's his standard. That should always be the standard. This is part of the joy, again, of going in the same direction. And why I joke with you about the throwing things and running, screaming from the room is because if you see someone trying to lead people and you see them going in the wrong direction, shouldn't you exhort them, you who has the truth, into what is the right direction? See, this is where they all start to go. Now, here's the fun part. How do you know you've been called to exhortation in that moment? Hmm. Because I heard it and I recognized what? That it was wrong. And nobody else seemed to recognize it was wrong, which means who has the charge from God to actually do something about it? (laughs) Now, again, how do I overcome that fear? What am I worried about? I'm worried about what they'll think about me. I'm worried about what they'll say about me. I'm worried about how they'll look at me. I don't care. I know what God looks at me. I know how God thinks about me. I know what God says about me. Again, going back to the beginning, understanding our focus and our standing rightly before God and then exercising these things to the building up of his people for his kingdom. And then finally, so he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. (sighs) This is a tough one some days. Mercy, the ability to love in spite of us and the world. Because be honest, have you met people? Be a little bit honest. Some of them are hard to love. (laughs) And some of them are harder to love than others. And you have looked out of this world and you have gone, I really don't like, like that one. Probably on a cable news channel. (laughs) I mean, let's be, because don't you love all your politicians? Don't you want to go give them a hug? Be like, I love these. These are my favorites. No, you say what every time they're on the TV? See, some of you are grinning at me because you're like, I am glad you are not in my living room when they're on my TV because then you would know what I actually say about them. I get it. That's why mercy is, a, believe it or not, part of a spiritual gift here. So should you all have mercy? Yes. But be honest. There are some people who are better at it than you. And there are some people who are better at it than me. Rejoice with those people and try. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little encouraging here. Try to be a little bit more like them. I've warned you before about the dangers of your, heart, of your heart and soul hardening in this world and the bitterness it springs up. But at the same time, seeing the world rightly in light of what? Who I was, who I am, and recognizing how I got here. Now, look at them and go what? Uh, okay, that's who you are, but who you could be because of the grace and mercy of God. 
is going to be spectacular. And therefore, I have to change how I see you and change how I think about you and get back to the exhortation and all of the other teaching and all of the other living that matters. So things like 2 Corinthians 3. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, you are being transformed by God, not your effort but his accomplishment. As you look out in the world, you have love for the world because love has been shown to you. You have mercy for the world because mercy has been shown to you and recognize that the same transformation that has been done to you can be done for them as well. And by the way, don't miss the last half of that. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. 70 times seven. Does Peter get to then go, Yes, it has been 374 times. I forgive you. Is that really merciful? Be honest. Now, you've, and you've never said anything like that. You, you've never forgiven anyone like that. Never in a million years. No, 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 no. Why not? Because you weren't cheerful. Because you were focused on who? Me. You wronged me. I have been wrong. You are suddenly Lucy in the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I demand restitution. <laughs> Why? Because I am upset because I have been wronged and I want you to make it right rather than understanding that there's a kingdom that I'm progressing to, that the wrong is truly not against me, but against God, who your real enemy in the situation is. And therefore, I can show you mercy because I can then lead you in a right direction because I am myself traveling in a right direction. Again, understanding who you are, in light of who you were, in light of how you are there now, in light of where you're going, testing the will of God, living as a sacrifice, which is why this comes full circus. This full, full circus. I, no, I come full circus on this day. No, this all comes full circle. How is all of this accomplished? It's like things like 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Now, why? Why is that my standard? Because you can go back to 2 Corinthians 9. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. See, the great joy is what? God's accomplishment, his building up of his people day by day so that their gifts are exercised. How? In his service, to his glory, not for our gain, not even for our joy, but for the worship and service of the God who has redeemed us and saved us. That's why we think. That's why we evaluate. That's why we have to stand firm because we stand in his power for his glory because to stand anywhere else and in any other way is to side with the world, to care about them, in a way that would undermine the gospel, to care more about them than how we see God and how God has seen us. That's not thinking, that's not evaluating, that's going back to the base things. Paul can rejoice in this list here in Romans because he can rejoice in the salvation that has been given to them because he has seen it as he reads his Bible down through the ages. Christian, that's where you rest. You rest at the end of these fulfillments, at the conclusion of this history. And as you live, you now live trusting what? That they will finally be fulfilled because the God who has accomplished is the God who is accomplishing, is the God who will bring you to a good and right end. Let's pray.